the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. Good morning. It is seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday edition of The Authority. My, oh my, are we loaded today. And not just with guests, but with news and breaking information, as a matter of fact. It's, uh, it's really quite astounding what I'm going to share with you this morning that I just learned within the last 30 minutes, by the way. Uh, you're going to want to hear this. Coming up on the program this morning, let me just give you a little rundown of our guests because we are loaded up, uh, loaded for bear on that as well. Coming up at 9.35, we're going to speak with Leilani Lutali and Jamie Fogner. Who are they? Uh, Leilani Lutali is a woman you may have read about in the news. She is in need of a kidney transplant. She has a donor. Her donor is Jamie Fogner. They were all set to have surgery to save Leilani's life with this kidney transplant, right up until the point where the hospital said, yeah, we're not doing that uh, surgery. We're not doing that transplant because you both are not vaccinated. Um, Yes, In order to promote public health, they're willing to allow a woman to die. That's the the position of these nut job, um, I don't want to say nut job pro-vaxxers. Not everybody who is pro-vaccine is a nut. This is nutty. This is insane. They're claiming they care about public health, yet they're willing to let somebody die uh, without getting this life-saving organ transplant uh, because they don't have, have the vaccine. So that conversation is at 9.35 at 10.10. Dr. Everett Piper will be with us to talk about communism and Pope Francis essentially saying that if you are too Christian and too Catholic, too fundamentalist, it's bad. You've got to don't not be so, uh, so uh, uh, tied to your faith if it means hurting other faiths. It's a bizarre story. Dr. Piper's got thoughts on That'll be at 10.10. Then at 10.35, Representative Jamie Callender, Republican in the state of Ohio, wants 
to make it legal for you to toke up whenever you feel like it. Recreational weed on the way to Ohio. Not medicinal, recreational. And this is being pushed and promoted by Republican Jamie Callender. So if you're a little surprised by that, join the club. I am as well. Now, uh, before we get started with the news of the day, the most important news that I told you I just literally learned about within the last um, uh, half hour, uh, before we do that, let's pause and let us uh, join in the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a patriot, please go ahead and stand. Uh, if you've got a flag nearby, go ahead and face that. Even if you don't, just put your hand on your heart and join us as we do indeed say a Pledge of Allegiance. Leftists of Biden voters, the rest of you who don't believe in freedom and who don't believe in this great republic, go ahead and take your knee. We know how you feel anyway. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, let's dive in now at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. You probably remember Resolution 20, yes? In the state school board... Uh, Resolution 20, which was a part of the the school board's curricula plan that was outlined over a year ago, there was a massive fight over this, uh, and 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 there should be. This is absolutely critical to the education of children, to stopping the indoctrination of children, the racial division of children, and so on and so forth. Resolution 20 in the school board's uh, um, uh, outline was to quote condemn racism and advance equity and opportunity for black students, indigenous students, and students of color. Which, by its very title, you know what this means. They're going to promote all kinds of issues and curricula and instruction uh, that are going to benefit and aid and assist students of color, and it's going to be to the detriment of students who are not of color. Moreover, it's going to demonize students who are not of color. White kids, essentially. The list of... of, uh, provisions in resolution 20 i remember reading them and i'm staring at them right now i'm not going to read them all back to you but i remember reading them and just how incredibly bizarre they are and how dangerous they are as well and and i don't mean dangerous in just a boy you know thought process no i mean dangerous physically dangerous as well as psychologically emotionally mentally dangerous so resolution 20 was challenged um, at the school board by some dissenting members of the board and also by uh, citizens who were there to give testimony. Except for the fact that the president of the Board of Education, Laura Kohler, refused to allow testimony to challenge Resolution 20 and to criticize the diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, um, uh clauses, if you will, in in Resolution 20, uh, and refusing to allow people to testify against the 1619 Project, which is very simply fiction, historical fiction being presented as historical fact. So a lawsuit was filed, and this is going back to April of this year. A lawsuit was filed by Dan Reginald. We had Dan on our program. And in his lawsuit against the Board of Education, he states that by refusing to allow citizens to voice their concerns about these things, that the people had their First and Fourth Amendment rights violated. And he was right. So this, uh, the board, and, and particularly the, the board president, Laura Kohler, they were unmoved. They continued 
to cling to Resolution 20. They were not going to repeal it. And this has been a fight now. This is When did I say this was filed? April. So this has been going on for at least six months since that uh, filing of that lawsuit, and they refused to back down. Well, literally, as I said in the last 30 minutes, I received an email message, or I beg your pardon, a text message from a board member that tells me last night at about 9 p.m., after about four hours of robust debate, the Ohio Board of Education has repealed Resolution 20. They have repealed Resolution 20. Let me say that again. Whereas on September 14, 2021, Attorney General Dave Yost issued opinion 2021-22, in which he stated the board does not have authority to require that all contractors working within the Department of Education to take implicit bias training, and whereas the board seeks excellence in education for children and families without prejudice or respect to race, ethnicity, creed, etc., whereas the board affirms its concern about the gaps between test performance of blacks, indigenous people, and people of color students and their white peers, which have existed since Ohio began disaggregate, uh, disaggregating the data, and the board acknowledges gaps in academic achievement among additional diverse groups, such as economically disadvantaged students, and whereas progress to close these gaps has been uneven and unsatisfactory, and whereas the ongoing pandemic has significantly impacted all students, and has exacerbated existing gaps in performance between students, which is likely to have a devastating effect on their future and on the future of the state. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the board emphatically affirms the primary place of academics in Ohio's K-12 public schools, and further resolved, here's your money line, that the board repeals, effective immediately, the resolution to condemn racism and to advance equity and opportunity for black students, indigenous students, and students of color. And further resolve, the board affirms its condemnation of racism, hate speech, hate crimes, and violence in the service of hatred. And further resolve that the board condemns any standards, curriculum, or training programs for students, teachers, or staff that seek to divide or ascribe circumstances or qualities, such as collective guilt, moral deficiency, or racial bias to a whole race or group of people. So those are the most important lines in the, uh, in the repeal of Resolution 20, and all I can say to that is... Can you dig it? I'm stunned. I'm shocked. I really am blown away. I, uh, I asked the board member who texted me this information... Uh, who opposed this? Because I kind of assumed uh, that there would be, you know, obviously a strong opposition to this. And the vote was 10 to 7. And uh, according to this board member, Board President Kohler, along with Board Member Merle Johnson, Board Member Eric Poklar, and four others, they were, among, we don't have the names of the other four, who voted against this who wanted to continue to push everything, the opposite of everything that I just said, of course, push the 1619 Project, push uh, diversity, inclusion, and, and equity. And you got to say it that way, by the way. A lot of people say DEI, uh, diver- uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I, I, I kind of changed that order because D-I-E is more appropriate. 
diversity, inclusion, and equity, which of course spells die, and that is exactly what it's doing, is leading to the death of free thought in this country. Uh, so at any rate, um, they they were pushing for the continuation of the uh, of resolution number twenty. So this is a big deal, my friends. This this is an example of what we talk about in this program every day. We have more power, maybe, than we realize. Grassroots activism, grassroots um, fights, quite frankly, these are fights that we are undertaking. We can win those, and we are winning those. Why do you think Dave Yost issued his ruling, the way, not his ruling, his opinion, as the Attorney General, the way that he did? I guarantee you he's listening. He has got his finger in the wind. He's trying to see which way the political winds blows. And he hears millions of Ohioans, millions of us. He sees us at the school board meetings. He reads the documents that we write. He listens to the voices on the radio, not just those of the host, but those of the citizenry. He's listening. And he hears that people are livid about this. And then adding that to his own reason and common sense, saying we should not foster division in our schools, making children of one color hate children of another color, while one color blames the ancestry and the DNA of another color to demonize an entire race of people. You take all of that and put it together, and you got a a, a ruling or an opinion from the Attorney General that I promise you had a massive impact on this vote to repeal Resolution 20. And I want to give the board credit for another reason. First of all, the 10 to 7 uh, uh, victory in terms of repealing this. But I want to give them credit not only for doing the right thing here, but also pointing out this does not mean, and it's a shame that we have to say this, it's a shame they have to point it out in the resolution. But they do, because you know how these things are, are politicized. But um, they say that it's not as if we support racism or hate speech or discrimination in any form. We just do not support this resolution of promoting racial division. By condemning racism and advancing equity and opportunity, etc., um, you know, it, it creates racial division. It creates a class system, and it just creates more problems than it ever could possibly solve in bringing unity and bringing equality, which is something the board strives for. They To not strive for equity is to strive for equality. Those two words may so, sound very similar. They each have an E and a Q and a U and a Y at the end, but that's where they, uh, that, that's the extent of their similarity. That's it. Equity means the opposite of equality. Equality means opportunity, where everyone has the same exact opportunity as everybody else, according to the school rules, school education, or uh, curriculum, rather. Um, equity, of course, is, is very, very different. Equity means we take from those who have and give to those who have not. And that means we grade harder, we put, impose uh, harsher discipline rules on those who are... Um, uh, considered to be privileged, and we go lighter on those kinds of things. We grade easier, and we provide more opportunities for success by uh, not imposing normal standard curricula upon students of color. 
Um, that's it, so that we can make sure that that everybody of every color has about the same grades. Everybody has the same, um, you know, uh, levels of opportunity, etc. And opportunity, of course, is only opportunity when it is equal for everyone, not being taken away from some in order to be given to others. That creates equity, not equality. All right, so this just was literally dropped in my lap less than a half an hour ago, so I hope that made some sense. I'm just trying to go back off the top of my head and remind you of what Resolution 20 was and how dangerous it is for Ohio schools and to let you know that last night, 9 p.m.-ish, and I'm really surprised I didn't see more about this online, but 9 uh, 9 uh, o'clock-ish yesterday, uh, they did pass this, and they also did so while saying, we continue to condemn racism, hate speech, hate crimes, and violence in the service of hatred. Absolutely. We all do. But the answer to racism is not anti-racism. It's not. It's not. Because anti-racism simply flips the script and creates racism against another race, rather than the one that is being uh, violated in the first place. No, anti-racism is not the answer. Equality of opportunity is the answer. So Ohio School Board... Well done. Congratulations. If you want to talk about that, we don't have a ton of time for talk today because I've got guests coming out all over the place with some very important topics. But I do have time between now and the bottom of the hour news at 930. So if you want to speak on this, do so at 216-901-0945. I'll be back. It's impossible, if possible, Download the free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 925. Thanks for being with us on... AM 1420, The Answer. We're coming up in about uh, nine minutes. We're going to be talking with um, a woman in Colorado. You probably have heard and read her story, Leilani Lutali. Uh, she needs a kidney transplant to save her life. She has a donor ready to give her the life-saving organ, and the hospital in Colorado will not allow the procedure to take place because the two women are not vaccinated. That's right. The uh, hospital, which is supposed to be dedicated to saving lives, and should be operating under the Hippocratic Oath of First Do No Harm, is ready to allow a woman to die in the name of public health by, by way of vaccination. You just ponder that. We're going to talk to her and her would-be donor coming up at uh, uh, 935. Let's go to the phones now. Uh, I understand Kirsten Hill is on the line. Kirsten Hill is a member of the Ohio School Board of Education. Maybe to give us a little bit more insight on what happened last night. Kirsten, good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I am great. Uh, today, I, I found great news. I got an email from another board member, or excuse me, a text message that said Resolution 20 is gone, and I was shocked, and, and I didn't even know this was happening last night. Can you tell me what happened? Yeah, we've been working on this for, for a couple months. Um, one of the newer members, uh, Brendan Shea, really dedicated a lot of time, and he drafted up a resolution um wanting to focus on academics to get our board to you know to, to talk about academics and i think what happened in the end was that um it was difficult for um uh, many of the governor's appointees to not vote for it you know how could they vote against academics so um but it, the um it, he he worked with um uh board member manchester who um, provided a substitute resolution to his because, of course, they couldn't just um, take all of his language. 
Um, and uh, so it was, I guess you could say it was a bit of a compromise. And uh, in the end, um, after <laughs> several hours, and actually we had hours and hours of testimony. The public showed up in spades yesterday. We had uh, about 20 people testify before the board, and uh, I'd say a little over half of them were actually, um, you know, against uh, the Resolution 20 and the critical race theory, and then the other half was for it. So uh, everybody was kind of loaded for bear. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it sounds like it, and uh, that kind of a battle, if it's close to 50-50 in public testimony, you know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how much uh, uh, sway that held with the board members themselves, you guys, as you voted. How much did Attorney General Yost's uh, opinion weigh in, uh, play in this? Oh, it, 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 um, it was brought up by several of the people, and I must say that public testimony is highly influential, and I would encourage people um, to come and speak to the board. We meet once a month on the second Monday and Tuesday, and typically um, Tuesday on the second day of the meeting, either in the morning or the afternoon, the public can testify, and um, they just need to show up really at the meeting. And the um, our agendas with the time schedule are on the website education.ohio.gov, State Board of Education. So yeah. um, please encourage people to come. But Dave Yost's letter, uh, he, he had a cover letter. And then he has a, had his opinion responding to um, Hagan's resolution from a couple months ago, mm-hmm. um, asking for um, the Attorney General's opinion about the resolution that was passed in July of 2020. And um, I even heard people um, mention during the public testimony that this letter will be useful to them locally um, to hear the Attorney General. That's um, Yeah, of course it would. That. Yeah, on the local school yeah. board, school board levels, where they're talking about CRT and some of this very dangerous stuff. No, and that's kind of the point I was making earlier on as I started to talk about this is that you know it matters what people say, what people do when they go to the local board meetings, when they go to speak to you guys, when you have uh, testimony allowed at the state board meetings, oh, yeah. public public comment, uh, because people like Dave Yost listen. I guarantee you, he's looking and he's considering what the will of the people is in addition to his own legal opinion. Yeah, um, we we um, a few of us had dinner after, like late at night in Columbus before we, you know, I didn't get home till about one a.m. Um, and in fact, one of the people at the table was uh, was in contact with the lieutenant governor. So th- this is uh, this is pretty big stuff. It really is. It really is. Now, yeah, now we're going to have to have you back on, yeah. Kirsten, to talk about, um, sure. you know, the strategic plan, as you mentioned in a message to me, the strategic plan from 2019 to 2024 marches on, in your words, with CRT and SEL thoroughly embedded. So there is still a lot of work to do. But but repealing Resolution 20 for now is a huge, huge step in the right direction. Congratulations to you. Congratulations yeah. to, uh, uh, I think you said, Brandon Shea uh, and everybody yeah. else who did such great work on this. This is very, very important. And I appreciate Appreciate that. You're welcome. Bob. Thank you so thank much, you Kristen. For, right. Thanks for for you. You know the whole story. You did a great job. Well, I'm doing my best. I mean, there's a lot of stuff yes. that I'm not privy to, and I'm so glad when I do get information that I can share with the people like this, just to show them that it works. Grassroots activism works when people who care about the children and care about their educational systems come together and are very vocal about this. We can we can make great things happen, and I know that was yeah, a big part of this. Yeah, really continue to encourage the people to stick with it with the local bet. board. So you bet. Thanks, thank you, Kirsten. All right, 931, we'll take a time out here for news. We'll come back. As I told you, we're going to talk to Lilani Lutali about life-saving measures being denied her over vaccines. We'll talk about that coming up, AM 1420, The Answer.
the liberal media pandemic. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. That's about the only vaccine I would recommend that you take right now. Not that I'm a doctor or anything, but uh, yeah, uh, vaccinate yourself against their lies. And by the way, even that isn't mandated. You have the choice. You can turn the radio station off and not listen to the truth if you wish. How about that? We don't believe in forcing anyone to do anything. That's the nature of liberty. Uh, Unfortunately, a woman in Colorado has had a different experience. She is being forced, literally at the threat of her life, to take a vaccine. Leilani Lutali is her name. You probably have heard this story a little bit. She needs a life-saving kidney transplant. She has, unlike a lot of people who sit on lists waiting for a donor that would match, she has a donor ready to volunteer that kidney so that she can have her life safe. Everything was good to go until the hospital in Colorado that was going to do the procedure said, "Uh, yeah, no, guess not. You're not vaccinated. Neither one of you are vaccinated. Uh, We're not doing this procedure. So in the name of public health, which is what we are told forced vaccinations are all about, it's all about the greater good, in the name of public health, They're going to allow a woman, potentially, to die without the life-saving organ transplant. Joining us now to talk about this uh, very difficult situation is Leilani Lutali. She is the uh, patient in this case who risks dying without uh, her uh, kidney transplant. Uh, First of all, let me say good morning to Leilani. Thank you for joining us, uh, Leilani. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us on. Okay, and uh, uh, it, it, and the us is Jamie Fogner. Jamie, am I saying your name correctly? Fogner? Uh, actually, Fogner. Fogner, thank you. I wanted to make sure that I was accurate there because you are a hero. Uh, anybody who is an organ donor, uh, whether the, you know whatever the circumstances are, is such a heroic thing, and God bless you and thank you for your willingness to sacrifice uh, potentially yourself uh, in, in uh, saving the life of another. So I really appreciate you both coming on. Jamie, or excuse me, not Jamie, Leilani, I just gave a very, very uh, thin-layered synopsis of your story. I would like you to tell me in a little bit more detail. Tell me about your condition, and tell me about how you got to where you are right now. So I was diagnosed with um, kidney disease back in January of 2020. I moved here to Colorado in November to take care of my mom, who was dying from ALS, who passed this uh, past March. And... Uh, from that point, really through the summer, I ended up deteriorating from stage four into stage five, which is considered renal failure or uh, kidney disease. So I began the process of meeting with UC Health in terms of understanding what my options were from dialysis to transplant. And when I met with the dialysis team, the doctor that was heading up that team had indicated he wanted to see if I could actually skip to the transplant piece without having to go through dialysis. He felt like I was fairly asymptomatic compared to most patients. Mm-hmm. So we started that uh, process in July, and uh, by the end of August, I was accepted to the transplant program, and um, Jamie at that point had uh, let me know that she wanted to be, a, be considered uh, as a donor for myself. So at the end of August, when I was notified that I was added to the transplant list, I'd asked UC Health at that time if they required the COVID shot. And the reason I had asked that is there was a gentleman in Washington State who had been denied his liver transplant because he refused to get vaccinated. So they said at that time, no, it's not required. I said, do you foresee this 
being required in the future. This is not that we know of. So we moved forward. Uh, one month later, though, uh, I got notification from my coordinator that that had changed with the FDA approving the vaccine. Uh, UC Health then had changed their policy for transplant patients, which required me to be vaccinated. Okay. Um, there's a lot of ground there uh, to, to plow through. Um, tell me your reason. Why are you opposed to getting the vaccine, particularly if taking it uh, can allow this, um, this procedure to go through and allow you to receive this organ and save your life? Sure. Initially, I started with looking into um, data that uh, gave me information about what was the impact of that COVID shot. I knew that um, patients such as myself that had immunocompromised systems had not been included in the original trial. So I wanted to see if there was any data whatsoever um, that told me about the efficacy of the shot. However, as I started that research, uh, I then discovered uh, that the development and the testing of that, that vaccine back in the 70s had included the use of fetal line tissue from aborted fetuses. And at that point, being a pro-life, sanctity of life person, I could not move forward. And those were the two reasons that uh, really informed my decision about whether or not I would receive the shot. So UC Health, the hospital uh, that we're talking about, basically are not accepting any medical or religious exemptions for patients. You know, we talk about this all the time and we hear required vaccination of employees particularly in health centers, but, but just generally they allow or at least will hear arguments in favor of medical or religious exemptions. They're saying when it comes to patients, you have no, you have no say or you have no uh, recourse there. That's exactly right. I'd actually propose three different um, workarounds, if you will. I'd ask if we could you know, be tested uh, 48 hours prior to the surgery, as they had been doing all through covid uh, the answer to that was no. Uh, then I'd asked if I would be able to uh, sign a waiver, uh, understanding what the risks are. I have to sign a waiver for the actual kidney transplant itself. Right. The answer was no. And then lastly, I'd asked if I would be able to get a religious exemption, and I was told that that was only applicable to employees, not to transplant patients. Lilani, um, what is it that they argue is the is the concern of of operating on somebody who has not been vaccinated what what is the what is their what is their position on this why are they telling you we can't allow you to be uh you know to to receive this transplant unless you have the vaccine according to them and and the little data that they do have they indicate that um, i would possibly put others at risk which for me is Ironic, given that the staff would be uh, vaccinated at that point in order for them to keep their jobs. So then the other piece would be that uh, they indicate patients coming through uh, post-transplant are at a higher risk of catching COVID and dying. They, I think the number that was cited was one in four uh, passed from COVID. Now, I had indicated that I had, had had COVID last July and that I had the antibodies. Mm -hmm. And uh, they indicated that that was not going to be a factor in their decision 
or mandatory vaccines. So they don't believe in natural science. The same science that medicine has proven uh, shows that you are far more inoculated and immunized against a reinfection than anybody who receives this vaccine would ever be. Apparently not. And as Jamie and I did our research, one of the things that we found about the efficacy of the shot in post-transplant patients is that for a patient who has one immunosuppressant drug, the efficacy of that shot drops down to 52%. For a patient that has two or more immunosuppressant drugs, the efficacy of the shot drops down to 25%. And I liken it to going out onto a car lot, getting ready to buy a new car, and I'm told it's only going to run 25% of the time. I'm not buying that vehicle, and I'm not buying the shot either. Yeah, that's very well said. Uh, Leilani, uh, uh, last thing for you, well, for now, I want to go to Jamie in a second here, but... Um, they're concerned about you infecting others. First of all, you've already had COVID. Second of all, you're willing to take a negative test. Third of all, uh, uh, surgeons are wearing those uh, ever-so-reliable masks and shields whenever they perform. They're also vaccinated themselves. So essentially, they're saying this virus that you don't have is so powerful that it will go through the shields that the surgeons are using, through their rubber gloves, through their masks as well, and still potentially harm those who are performing this procedure on you. That sounds like what they're saying. Absolutely. I just want that, you know, I I just want to underscore that because this is what we are being told, uh, you know, this is what's going to stop it. This is how everybody in America needs to wear masks wherever they go, and they need to make sure that they, uh, um, you know, uh, are vaccinated. And yet surgeons, doctors, nurses who are going to be vaccinated and wearing all of the above can't do a procedure on you to save your life. It's crazy. Jamie uh, Fogner, I want to talk to you now, and I want to talk about how. what, what is your relationship with Lilani? How did you come to be in this position to offer to donate? your kidney yeah actually uh leilani and i met in january of this year at a a women's bible study that we had put together and um, just on seeing her when she first came into the room i thought we are going to be friends for life there was just something about her that i knew god had knitted our hearts together immediately and um, in going through these weeks and months with her and learning her story um, just just devastated at this beautiful woman um, having to go through this. And in one of our conversations, I, I happened to ask what her blood type was, and it was the same as mine. And so I said, I want to be a kidney donor to you because I know with this blood type, chances are I'm a match. And so we, once she got on the transplant list, I signed up right away to start the testing process for this. So this is a, um, a pretty amazing thing. Uh, tell me your vaccine story. You're not vaccinated either. What is your what is your reasoning and what is your position on that? Yeah, I, I am not vaccinated. I'm actually a member of the, the healthcare community, have been in healthcare for nearly 30 years now. And, you know, uh, in doing my research on the vaccine and finding that they had utilized fetal tissue cell lines in the, the testing for efficacy and also in the manufacturing for some of these vaccines, I just couldn't morally accept that, you know, because I believe that that God knew us before he knitted us in our mother's womb, and so life begins at conception, and that we are called to protect that life and protect the innocent, and so, you know, regardless of this being a cell line from the 70s, these vaccines benefited from the murder of those babies, and I just couldn't morally stand on that. Are you uh, Catholic? Is that part of your faith? 
I am not Catholic. Um, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in Lord Jesus Christ as my, my Savior, and um, I answer to God, and I answer to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, and it's interesting because we've been called anti-vaxxers in this. I am yeah. not anti-vaccine. Like, I get my flu shot every year because I work in the hospital. You know, I, I have had my childhood vaccines. I'm a, a retired Air Force medic, so I've had vaccines in the military as well. It is, it is this one that I am anti-vaccine on. The only reason I asked about your faith is because, you know, the Catholic Church has come out and said that typically they uh, would oppose any vaccination that does involve, you know, fetal cell lines or anything of that nature that were related to the termination of life. But in this instance, the Catholic Church has said, go for it. Uh, they have they have essentially given dispensation to Catholics to receive this because they don't believe that since the cells were not used in the actual vaccines that are being taken regardless of the research i guess um they've given the green light here so i don't know how many people who may may have had their concerns about their faith um you know satisfied by that by that ruling sure and and i would say you know catholics are of the christian faith as well Mm -hmm. and they don't answer to the pope and his directives they answer to god and his directives and i hope that they can can see past the the dictates of a man and see to the one true living God and and what he has laid out in front of us as Christians to protect the innocent and and know that there there is hope in that and there's hope in Jesus Christ and that we don't put our hope in man, whether that's the Pope or a pastor or a rabbi. Our hope is not in that man. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So let me ask you both in closing of this conversation, and I really appreciate you both joining us, Jamie Fogner and uh, and Lilani. Uh, Lilani, your 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 story, Lilani Lutali. Uh, I almost called you Lutani. That would have been quite a rhyme. Um, <laughs> Lilani Lutani. At any rate, Lilani, um, your story is one without an end now, um, unless you know the the most you know the most unthinkable thing happens here. Do you think that the hospital, or do you think that any hospital, maybe outside of UC Health, would actually allow you to die in in the name of public health? The irony of that is so thick, I can't even begin to describe it, but they say the vaccine is for the public health uh, of... Um, of of the workers around you, uh, you know, if you have this procedure, and they also say you have a better chance of getting COVID, which could kill you in the aftermath of your procedure. But if you don't have the procedure, it could kill you. So, do you think that they will hold firm to this? And secondly, have you looked outside to other um, medical facilities to find somebody who will perform this procedure now that you have your own donor? So we have looked outside the state of Colorado. I, I don't believe that UC Health will budge. Um, the hope is that they might reconsider, but uh, I can't wait around for them to, you know, change their current policy. So we are looking outside the state. There have been um, outreaches to both myself and Jamie and uh, to let us know that there are doctors who would be willing to step up and do the procedure. So. I do. I truly believe that God has a path forward. I'm. I'm not too worried about that. Uh, you know, it's not just myself, but there are others who have reached out from within the state who are in the same predicament and who have been told without the vaccine, they uh, they won't receive their transplant either. In fact, there's a 12 12 year old girl here whose father reached out to Representative Tim Geithner 
and let him know that they were informed without the vaccine for the 12-year-old daughter, she wouldn't move forward. So we know that there are doctors out there uh, who will step step up, and I believe that um, a solution is coming. And whether that happens in time or not for myself, I know where my life will be when, when I leave this one. And at the end of the day, God numbers my days, not man. I love your perspective. I love your state of mind, and I love your faith. Uh, and and I and I really truly believe that is going to be rewarded. As for the hospital, if they do not budge, as you say, I hope it is the end of their ability to offer care to anybody. If they allow someone to die, uh, you know, absent a life-saving organ transplant, all in the name of public health, they have no idea what public health is. Last thing for you, Jamie, as a member of the medical community, as you pointed out, um, with a long history. Is it not a violation of the Hippocratic Oath, which says, first, do no harm? This decision does harm. This decision would allow your friend, Lilani, to die. Uh, How how does that square with medical ethics? You know, for me, it doesn't. Um, You know, our job is to treat every patient, no matter what their background, what their history, where they come from, who they are. Our job is to treat the sick and to make every effort to make them well and You know, I just can't reconcile the lack of compassion in this case particularly, but over the past year and a half, almost two years, you know, specifically with transplants, we've done almost 70,000 transplants up until the FDA approved the COVID-19 vaccine. So we were able to do this before this approval of the vaccine. Why all of a sudden are we not able to do that? You know, and children under the age of 12 are not allowed to get this COVID vaccine yet. So you can't tell me they're not giving 8-year-olds, 9-year-olds, 10-year-olds their organ transplants and and making it safe for them. So why can't they make it safe for Leilani in this? And and I just feel like our healthcare system has lost their compassion and they've lost sight of humanity, and it's really heartbreaking to see that in the medical community. Yeah, it, it really is. And um, your story, yours and Leilani's together, is one that needs to be heard all across the country. What are we doing? In the name of public health, we're going to allow people to die. Something has to change. Um, God bless you both. Uh, Leilani, of course, uh, prayers to you, and I'm sure everybody listening to the sound of my voice right now uh, will be praying for you to have this resolved quickly and safely. Uh, and Jamie, again, uh, all organ donors are heroes particularly those willing to uh you know to to take this on now uh while you are still living uh god bless you and thank you so very much for everything that you're doing thank you so much for allowing us to speak thank you both there's lilani lutali and um uh, jamie fogner uh a story that one that really does need to be told nationwide we'll be right back Okay, it's 9.58, so a little short segment here, obviously. Um, That's a story that is just mind-boggling to me, and if any medical professionals can explain that to me, uh, how a facility, a medical facility, could allow somebody to die without a life-saving transplant in order to promote public health, if somebody can explain that to me, because apparently I'm just an idiot. I, I don't get it. I don't get stuff like this. Maybe I'm not thinking well enough. Maybe I'm not a deep thinker, as I like to talk about, uh, because I don't get it. If you get it, tell me about it. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Jackie is in Independence. Let's get this call in before the top of the hour. Jackie, thank you. Go ahead. 
Hi, Bob. Um, I just wanted to make. Sh- I wondered if you were aware that the Cleveland Clinic has the same policy now. I, I was. Heard it two I, days I heard. Ago. Yeah, I did too. Just a couple of days ago, um, I had not uh, made contact with the individual here, but uh, but I had already, uh, t- you know, we had already arranged that thing with Lalani out in Colorado. But the same question, right? The same question is how can they right. call themselves and a medical facility that caring about the health of patients if they're going to let patients die over something like a vaccine? Precisely, and I'm also curious because I've had over the last six months, I've had a few surgeries in out outpatient surgeries at the clinic. And um, the, this, every time they made me get a COVID test before the surgery, this last time they said, no, I didn't need to get one. I said, why? And they said, oh, we stopped that. I'm wondering if they stopped it because they're not maybe going to do any surgeries on anybody that hasn't had the vaccine. That sounds like it's probably a reasonable conclusion. It's an amazing, uh, amazing yeah. story to me. The, yeah, there's a woman. It was a not a kidney, but a liver. I think is the the local uh, situation that we just found out about Cleveland Clinic. And uh, you might be right. They're, they're not even going to worry about testing or anything else. If you're not vaccinated, we don't care. You're, we're just not, we're just not going to do it. It's a shocking wonderful thing. place we're in right now. Right? Yeah. yeah. Aren't we? Yeah. Thank you, Jackie. I appreciate you bringing that to the uh, to the forefront here because you're right. You know, I just told the story from Colorado, but there is a local one as well. And, uh, again, I don't recall the circumstances. I just remember it was a liver transplant, and it has been denied by Cleveland Clinic over vaccine status. (sighs) You have to soak that in a little bit. And, of course, we're going to do everything we can to reach out to Cleveland Clinic. We'll never get them, but so we can have this conversation about uh, their concern for patients. Okay, 10 o'clock, news time now. Dr. Piper next, AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.